When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about understanding attachment and bonding with your baby. I think it's a big topic that we don't talk about enough. I feel like there's this idea that baby comes out and we should have this flood of emotion, but that's not always the case. So to have this conversation, I have Beth Warren. She is a psychotherapist in private practice in San Diego, California, and she specializes in reproductive mental health and has worked in this field for over 20 years. She's certified in EMDR therapy and perinatal mental health, specializing in perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, birth trauma, pregnancy loss, and infertility. It was really a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. And it was, even though this sounds like it could be a very heavy topic, she made it so approachable and something that you can understand with a lot of usable actions. We went deep. We talked a lot about how sometimes we don't necessarily want to emulate what we grew up with with our, from our parents. And sometimes we do. Sometimes there's trauma. Sometimes there's attachment issues ourselves as parents. And again, actionable issues that you can actionable actions, that's what I'll call them, actionable actions that you can use to help you understand how to best bond and attach with your baby. I hope you enjoy that. Before we jump into that conversation, I just want to remind you that we've made a commitment to our online community. I was recently talking to several yoga studio owners, and many of them have stopped doing online classes. They're concentrating just on in-studio. We are doing both. We are really excited to see that things are starting to pick up on our in-studio classes, but we also have this amazing online community that we have created. And I am excited to continue to offer both. What I recognize is not every place has access to pre or postnatal yoga and community is so important that we can offer this online and continue to support people through this perinatal period. So we're going to continue our online classes. Now for our listeners of the podcast, you can use the code YBB10 and apply that to our pre and postnatal yoga packages. It will be the A-class card the and the monthly unlimited. So enjoy that 10% off with YBB10. What else is going on? All right. So we've got our five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. So if you can't make it to class, it's just not something you're really interested in taking a full class. That's fine because you might still have some aches and pains and I want to help you with that. So check out on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com and download that. And then you have a little cheat sheet for if your back hurts or your neck hurts or your hips hurt. I got you covered. And in a few minutes, I hope you feel a little bit better. All right, last thing I want to share, teacher training. So for the last 20 years, I've had the joy of working in the perinatal community. And through that passion, I created a very in-depth, very thorough, evidence-based research uh, research is involved of our teacher training. If you've listened to the podcast, you know I'm a geek for research. You know I'm really diving into these topics. And the teacher training is no different. So we have continue to do online and in-person trainings. So if this is something that speaks to you, you want to better serve the perinatal community, feeling confident and safe with what you're offering them, check out our 85-hour prenatal yoga teacher training on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Beth. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, Beth. How are you? Oh my gosh, Deb. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor. I love your uh, podcast, and I'm just really grateful to be here with you today. Thank you. Well, I'm really excited about this topic. You know, we're talking about attachment and bonding, and it made me sit back and take a beat and think about the birth of my kids and the bonding. And there are certain things as we get through the conversation, I'm sure it will come up, but there are certain thoughts that I still remember as soon as my children were born. It's in, it's really incredible of that impact it can make. So this is going to be a really great conversation, but I guess we should start with, will you tell me a little bit about yourself and what drew you to working with the perinatal community? You bet. I have been in this field now for over 20 years, which kind of blows my mind when I say that, because I like to joke that that means I started when I was two. (laughs) Um, And I started actually as a social worker in the hospital, working in labor and delivery and the postpartum unit and the neonatal intensive care unit way back when, back when I was in grad school getting my social work degree. And I absolutely fell in love with that population. And as a social worker embedded in that unit, I was doing much more crisis counseling. Uh, So unfortunately, I would be there when really when things would not go well, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, and I loved the work that I was doing. I loved being there for people when they were experiencing birth trauma or a loss or when their babies were going to the NICU, et cetera. Um, and I, I spent a lot of time there. I was there about nine years, almost 10 years. And I had a private practice at the same time working with the same, uh, population, working with the perinatal mental health population. And I love this work so much. And eventually I just really got hungry to do more long-term work, not so much the crisis work, but to work with uh, new parents and parents working to conceive uh, parents to be, in other words, uh, on the long-term, not just the crisis basis. So I've just always had a heart for this work and working with um, new and conceiving parents um, over the the perinatal period, but I also tend to work with women over their lifespan too. So I work a lot with trauma um, and women who've experienced trauma maybe in their childhoods and maybe now it's parents, it's coming back up. Uh, and so it's, it's just a, a big passion of mine working with women. I love that you're holding the space for so many people because my husband's a social worker. So I have a very soft spot for, soft spot for social workers because I think, like you said, you're the ones being called in, especially in the hospital where you're there for the crisis. And it's a really, I think it's an important job. So thank you for the work you do. Oh, thanks for saying that. Thanks to your husband too. <laughs> so let's jump into our topic, attachment and bonding. And as I was reflecting about this, I'm like, well, what exactly are we talking about with attachment? So can you talk a little bit, what does that mean? And what does a strong or healthy attachment look like? Yeah, I'm so grateful to be here and to be having this conversation with you because uh, I I love working on uh, helping my clients build a strong attachment with their babies. And especially if they themselves are maybe healing from attachment wounds of their own. And mm-hmm. maybe we can talk about what attachment wounds are yeah. in a moment. Um, but essentially, if we look at the nuts and bolts of what is attachment, what is a strong bond with your baby or with your child, um, it's a, a couple of different things. One is a subjective aspect of bonding. It is that feeling of warmth. It's that feeling of connection with your child. Um, it's that 
that sense of you are mine and I am yours. It's that sense of love and, um, you know, maybe that kind of ooey gooey connection, so to speak, but it's that subjective nature. Um, but then there is the objective or tangible aspect of attachment, uh, where it's the attunement to your baby's emotions and needs. It's the caregiving aspect. It's the, you know, kind of slogging through the, the, um, the needs that they have and the day to day kind of care. It's the protective aspect. It's the ability to help them soothe their emotions. Uh, and of course, soothe your emotions at the same time, which sometimes can be a big ask when parenting can get really challenging. Um, and so why I love this conversation so much is notice I've just named a whole host of things. And yet oftentimes there's this, uh, distorted belief that bonding has to happen immediately upon giving birth or upon meeting your baby for the first time. For example, if you came upon parenting, parenthood, uh, upon adoption or having your baby be a surrogacy, uh, but this belief that it has to happen immediately. And for a lot of parents, it doesn't. For a lot of parents, it is uh, process that happens over time. I always like to say, for example, bonding is a verb. Um, mm-hmm. It's an action that unfolds in the doing, in the activity of caregiving. And that's what I'm glad I wanted to jump into because the as soon as I think about my, my births, and that's what I'm relating to, is I remember so clearly, you know, my first birth was forever epic. And by the time my son was born, I was just happy that he was out. But I remember clearly looking at him and just feeling overwhelmed because I finally gave birth after 42 hours and clearly remember thinking, what am I supposed to be feeling? Because while I was excited and you know, there was just so many emotions. I still to this day remember thinking, what am I supposed to be feeling? Because in my mind, I thought I was supposed to feel like, oh my God, I love you so much. And more, it was, I'm not sure what I should be feeling. Like still to this day, it was, it it was like I was judging myself. And I'm wondering if others have that, like they're expecting, like in the movies, like, oh my God, thank God you're here. And yet it felt I didn't know how to take that in. So can you address like, is that common to, for her to take a beat or? Yes. Is, okay. Yes. Oh my gosh, Deb. Thank you so much for sharing your experience because you are not alone in that. And in fact, it can often take even longer than that. It is quite common for parents to feel quite um, disconnected from their babies for months for it to take a really long period of time. I mean, heck, you were handed a stranger, essentially. <laughs> and just like meeting any stranger, it takes time to develop that relationship. And if you have a partner, it can be also quite normal for one partner to feel um uh, that ooey gooey connection initially and another partner to have to grow into it or to even sometimes misattribute a baby's cry as the baby doesn't like me or say the baby prefers you over me or, you know, that kind of thing. There's a number of reasons. And I think it's important for us to talk about that in a minute of why a parent might experience that delayed bonding connection. Um, but it's really, really common. And you named something really important, which is in the movies, we don't often see that in media like TV shows and movies, what we're seeing more often than not is birth experience and immediate connection. There's the crying of relief on the birth and parent side and this instant connection and this instant warm feeling. And that doesn't subside and it just grows stronger and stronger. And so uh, it's pretty rare where we're seeing in movies and TVs a more accurate portrayal of um, kind of that spectrum of experiences that parents can experience like yours, like this tremendous relief and exhaustion, but also this kind of feeling of pressure like and confusion. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling right now, but it's certainly not an overwhelming feeling of like euphoric connection. And then that grows over time. And for some people it stays for some people it's months, but if 
all you have is this belief that it has to happen instantaneously or there's something wrong with you as a parent, um, then how, how hard that is in terms of guilt or shame. So that's why I'm glad we're talking about this. Yeah. And I, I was actually a doula for 10 years before. And I, I was thinking about like, what did I see on the parent's face? And a lot of time it was relief that the process was over. And yeah. as well as, of course, thrilled to hold their baby. But I was expecting a flood of just ooey gooey. And, yeah. and I think that's why it, took me because I've, I'd seen that on some people's face, but I didn't know what, yeah, it just felt a little confusing. So I think this is, this is helpful. So, and luckily I, I was able to within, you know, shortly understand who this little person was and it's been beautiful. I do remember with my daughter, the first thing I said is, thank God you're out. I'm never doing that again. Um, <laughs> Um, as much as I love and support birth, I, I had, <laughs> I find it challenging. Um, but that's just my own personal take on it. But let's talk about what are some reasons that a parent might have some difficulty or delayed bonding and connecting with their baby? Yeah, numerous reasons. And sometimes, frankly, it might even be a mystery to you. And so let's just put that out there that we don't have to pathologize it. There doesn't have to be a big reason. Um, because again, it, it, it's that unfolding in the doing, unfolding in the relationship building, um, that this can happen over time and that that's okay. Uh, but also there are some things that can, uh, contribute to a delay in that bonding connection. And one is having a traumatic or a distressing birth, especially if there is any, um, disruption in being with the baby or if there is an emergent intervention, um, that can cause a, a delay in that connection with the baby. Again, the, none of these things mean that the, uh, that there is an inability to repair or to work on these things. I don't want anyone listening to think that, that if this has been your experience, that, that this is now over. It's definitely not like that. These are things that we can keep working on. You can keep strengthening your bond with the baby. Um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders too. Uh, oftentimes parents who've been experiencing depression or anxiety, for example, or other mood and anxiety disorders during pregnancy or in that immediate postpartum period uh, will find a difficulty in bonding or connecting. Not all people who experience a PMAD, but some birth parents who do. Um, also, I had mentioned parents who might have had attachment wounds of their own or maybe hadn't had modeling of secure attachment with their own parents. Um, an attachment wound, by the way, means it's not necessarily about the bad things that might have happened to you as a child, but more about the important good things that didn't happen. Like if you, for example, if your parents weren't able to help you soothe your painful emotions or didn't attune to you, and so um, you didn't have caregivers who helped you with self-regulation skills, or if you didn't have uh, parents who made a loving connection with you. Now, as you're becoming a parent, it may feel quite foreign to be establishing these connections with your baby. It may even feel quite painful or, or, um, awkward as you're developing this new connection. So attachment wounds of, of your own, um, can often get brought back up. Um, so there's, there's numerous reasons, in other words, difficulty with nursing, um, and other reproductive traumas that aren't just around the birth, but are birth adjacent, postpartum, um, complications, et cetera. So numerous reasons and all just highlighting that this is a process that can happen over time. There's so many questions that sprung to my mind listening to you. So one, <laughs> no, 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 it's good. Um, I'm like, where should I go to first? So one that you mentioned PMADs. So if someone knows they are in that PMAD family, perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, what can they do? Or is there anything they can do in preparation to recognize I may have some attachment or bonding issues I carry. I'm experiencing a lot of anxiety or OCD or depression. Is there anything they can do ahead of time 
to help that process maybe be a little smoother when baby comes? Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that question because I'm all about prevention. Um, and just having educational awareness around this is really useful because it's important to know, like I said, that not every parent with a PMAT, a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder, will necessarily have disrupted or delayed bonding and attachment. In fact, some parents, I see this all the time in my practice, some parents who are really struggling with their mental health will absolutely have this strong connection with their baby. It's almost like everything else is suffering or everything else is, um, is going by the wayside, but the connection with the baby is first and foremost. So in other words, it's not necessarily uh, going to happen, but the idea of prevention and education is really crucial. So you may want to have already, uh, what am I trying to say? not educated, uh, ed, yeah, educated yourself or research. There's the word, <laughs> words escape me, um, researched in your area, um, uh, attachment classes. Um, like there's one called circle of security, um, which now that everything is online and virtual, you could take anywhere. Um, there's something called circle of security, which you could, um, take with your baby after, um, you know, any time in the postpartum period, which helps to promote secure attachment and gives tangible skills for connecting and attuning with your baby in case you feel like any of those skills are lacking for you, or even if they're not lacking, but you just want to help bolster that connection and attunement. Baby massage classes, for example, um, baby and me yoga classes, any way of um, finding attunement and connection. I, uh, in my book that I wrote, have an entire chapter on this because I find that so many people are just really craving tangible ideas of ways to connect with their baby, whether or not they're actually struggling. You know, it's kind of just like sometimes if you haven't grown up in a family where touch was really a way of expressing and showing love, then touch may be really uncomfortable, and especially as parents early on when you get kind of touched out. So these things might have to be practice skills. So I love that question, Deb, in other words. Yeah, I like that. I like, I'm very type A, so I like to plan and I like tangible. So you answered my question about what are some ways to strengthen the bond. I love the idea of classes. Now we, we offer infant massage and baby sign language. And I remind the parents, I'm like, they may not learn sign language, but it's time that you're looking at your baby, making eye contact, singing, spending that time. And so that I always encourage it. It's like, it doesn't matter if the skill comes out of this, you know, they may not be great signers or from babies, um, yoga. They're, they're not coming out doing down dog, but it is... <laughs> But it is a time that is unique to them. I remember I did infant massage with my son. I did it too long. Like he started running away. He was like one and I was like chasing him down the hall. I'm like, I have shea butter in my hands. Let me rub it into you. Um, (laughs) I know, but it was something that I I still remember and it was fun. So besides some of the classes that you mentioned, are there other ways that you suggest that someone that might be struggling to connect with their baby, they can work on? on strengthening that bond? Yeah. And, um, I, it's funny that you mentioned the, um, massage or the baby yoga. Um, the classes are so fabulous and not everybody might either have accessibility to those or the, you know, sometimes these things require time too, frankly. And so I always like to start with super, super duper basic. And so some of you might be listening to me and might even do a little bit of an eye roll when I mention some of these, like, uh, okay, super basic, but it's helpful to start with something that everybody has available to them and um, that doesn't take a lot of time because when we're talking about things that might be uncomfortable for some folks, like eye contact, you mentioned, Deb, like when you're doing sign language, like you said, you're not expecting them to immediately start signing when they're little infants, but you're starting to practice attunement. Eye contact with your baby is so crucial because you're starting to learn how to attune to them and even practicing eye contact with your baby as you're talking to them and reading to them. And maybe you're just 
talking to them about something silly. Like I'm just talking to you about my day and I'm a little bored right now. And this is what's going on in the weather. And I don't know what else to talk to you about, but I'm just trying to talk because, you know, here I am practicing talking. Um, it will start helping you learn how to attune to when your baby's eye gaze moves away, then you practice moving away. These are those mirror neurons, which eventually help your baby develop a sense of empathy. Your baby will really start developing this crucial skill of empathy once they learn, um, you know, how to read you, you read them, those kind of mirror neurons of being able to connect and co-regulate with each other really helps your baby even uh, co-regulate their um uh, and self-soothe with their blood pressure and their pulse. It's really cool, all the neat things that can happen with the secure attachment. But reading and talking to your baby and trying to look into their eyes, look away when they look away, some of these basic things can be incredibly useful starts, especially if you're feeling that sense of, I mean, I love you and I'm here to take care of you, but I'm just not really feeling this strong attachment and bond yet. I am here. I'm going to change all your diapers. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to do the things, but like, I'm not feeling that subjective thing that Beth was talking about. Then these are the things you can practice. Skin to skin care is another one where you're practicing maybe after their bath, just wrapping them up tight and holding them against your chest for as long as you can tolerate, maybe even five minutes. Uh, that's another one where you're just practicing kind of noticing their breath and your breath starting to sync up. Uh, and it doesn't have to be that the goal of experiencing a warm flood of emotions, that isn't the goal. The goal is really just to keep practicing, connecting with your baby, connecting with your baby. And if you're connecting at times of their calm and their, um, happy even better because then you're you're able to have these like positive connections i was encouraged this when there's one parent in particular who's struggling with this bonding connection or like i said at the beginning if one parent is thinking oh the baby doesn't like me or the baby prefers you then let's encourage these times of quiet happy connections let's not have that parent always be the go-to when the baby's fussy or when the baby needs soothing. I love that you give very specifics because I can imagine there are some people hearing this and, and the scenario just popped into my head of one parent is feeling like, Oh, the baby doesn't like the baby's fussy. So that keeps passing the baby off to the parent. It's not as fussy with, and yes. then, and then there is more of a chasm between the, the baby and that, and that parent that's feeling like I'm not attaching. And if we keep, you know, passing the baby off, so you gave some really great ways. And then if that has happened, how can you, what, what's the question I'm trying to think? I guess draw that person back in if they've really started to step away, be like, and, and that could be anxiety, like, oh, they don't like me. What's wrong? Yeah. It's, I'm not sure if I'm getting at what I'm trying to think, but I could just, in my mind, I see the separation between that one parent really pulling away. Yeah. Happens all the time, right? Cause then there becomes this negative feedback loop. It's like they're getting negative reinforcement because if they already have this distorted belief, baby doesn't like me. I suck as a parent. Baby prefers you, you know, all these negative thoughts on this hamster loop. And then they're typically having negative interactions. That's only going to fuel this mm. belief. It's this like cognitive bias in other words. And so what we can do is help, um, dispel that myth by having positive interactions. So if you're the other partner, for example, um, anytime baby is happy and quiet and I'll just throw this out there. I'm a realist. It can be even harder if you have a baby with a fussy temperament or a baby who has colic or, um, has some health or medical issues. So sometimes you might have to catch as catch can. Sometimes you might have to grab these moments. Um, they might be very sparing, but, um, to them, have the partner hold baby when there are those quiet, happy moments and um, really encourage and focus, oh my gosh, look how you're doing, or he seems really happy right now. And some of this 
can be a lot of effort if you also are a sleep-deprived, exhausted parent. The idea of, you know, lavishing praise on your partner and taking the time to, you know, um, orchestrate or facilitate, I guess I should use that word, um, these moments, but man, is it worth it. And as a therapist, a perinatal mental health therapist, I'm very much involved on the team to help with this. Doulas can absolutely help with this as well. Um, so you're not alone. In other words, if you're working with a, a provider that can be part of your team, this can really be helpful. Yeah. And what comes to my mind is just how brave that is, because if there's one parent that's feeling disconnected in like, baby doesn't like me, then it's easy for that parent to fall into that, as you said, the hamster wheel. And it's also easy for the other parent to be like, I do it better. Let me just do it. And then for that parent, that's like, I do it better. Let me just do it to say like, no, we really need to fix this relationship or have created a strong foundation from the beginning. I just feel like it's very brave of both people to kind of step into that discomfort. Oh my gosh, you named it. That's exactly it. And if the one parent who's like, I, I just, I've got it. Let me take over is maybe dealing with their own, let's say anxiety or OCD. And so it's, it's difficult for them to actually hand baby over or, um, you know, that the idea of maternal gatekeeping that can happen. Yep. That sense of like, um, it, it's, I do it better. Different. Let me just do it. I'm already, yeah. 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 All right. I want to talk about, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about reproductive trauma and how that might impact bonding. We're going to be right back. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, we're back. So can you talk about how reproductive trauma might impact bonding? Yeah. So similarly to uh, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, PMADS, um, if you've had a traumatic or distressing birth or you've experienced reproductive trauma, it does not necessarily mean that it is for sure going to have an impact on your bond or attachment with your baby, but it, it it's a higher likelihood that it will. And so like all of everything that we're talking about today. It's about education and awareness and, and empowerment, in other words. Um, and also, I think it's about understanding the whys. I, I think sometimes it's so helpful to understand the whys because then it's it can be uh, a good antidote to the poison of shame um, and self-blame and guilt and stuff. And so, I like to use the term reproductive trauma because trauma isn't um, only about the birth experience, but can also involve prior uh, pregnancy losses, reproductive losses. Trauma can also be around infertility and fertility treatments, can be around postpartum or pregnancy complications. Uh, example being somebody who has had hyperemesis during her pregnancy or has mm-hmm been on bed rest or has had other complications or on the flip side in the postpartum period that, um, let's say pelvic floor damage and pain, um, there can be all sorts of trauma, uh, during this whole reproductive period. And all of that can absolutely cloud and, um, impact the, the bond and attachment with this baby. And, you know, if we, like zoom out for a minute. Of course it does because all of those things are so noisy and so, um, like pain, for example, it's just like a pain is so exhausting and requires so much attention and so many appointments and so much, um, uh, just time, um, and energy and, Bonding with an infant and caregiving an infant and connecting with an infant, attuning to a baby's emotions and learning how to make a loving connection with the stranger and learning their cry and learning what this little face means and what that little face means um, also requires time and energy. And 
The other aspect of trauma is that this may not be the first trauma you've experienced. Traumas, I always like to think of, um, I'm a child of the 80s. Um, I don't know how many of you ever had those little um, uh, Velcro dart balls. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, traumas are like that. Our brains are little pattern makers, little sense makers, and we like to find organization. Um, and if we've experienced something traumatic in the reproductive period in a way where it feels like I failed or I'm damaged beyond repair or I'm unsafe, you know, in these ways that, um, feel really deep, these core, core held beliefs, Maybe that's not the first time we've ever felt that way. You know, maybe we've had other life experiences where we felt similarly. And so even though the thing that we experienced in the reproductive period was uh, valid and real and really difficult, it might be that much more sticky, so to speak, that much Mm -hmm. more um, challenging for our brain to process because our brain goes, yep. Here it is again. I've felt this way before, and it's that much more difficult to uh, work through. So we might be feeling really hypervigilant. We might have nightmares. We might have difficulty recovering from that. And then we also have this parallel task of caring for a baby and connecting with a baby. So absolutely, it can have uh, an impact. And especially if you are feeling a sense of hypervigilance, and not feeling safe in your own body, um, that can be really challenging to then connect and, and attune to a little one. Yeah. And then throw in the major hormonal fluctuations that's taking right. place. I mean, there's a lot to unpack about these early months, but you, you start to dip into this idea of one's own childhood and attachment earlier. So I want to circle back to that. That was something that caught my ear. So can you talk about how might a parent's own childhood and attachment with their caregiver impact bonding with their baby? We slightly went into that earlier, but I feel like there might be a little more to unpack there. Yeah. So I had mentioned the idea of attachment wounds being the idea Mm -hmm. of good things that maybe didn't happen for you. Like if you had a caregiver who wasn't uh, able to soothe their own emotions and maybe was overly enmeshed with you or was uh, constantly dysregulated. So you became very hypervigilant or maybe you learned how to shut down your own emotions or maybe you didn't get the loving words that you needed or maybe even a sense of safety that you needed. Um, And now as a parent yourself, uh, trying to form this connection and attachment with your baby, you might be noticing not only did you not have a modeling for what you needed, um, and so kind of starting from scratch, which that is a-okay. A lot of parents are capable of parenting without a model, even if it feels very clunky. Um, It might be bringing up this sense of, um, this deficit that you might be feeling, this hunger, this, um, this void of what you were missing. Some of my favorite work to do clinically is helping parents heal from their own emotional wounds from childhood at the same time, this kind of parallel process of helping them learn how to form that strong connection. And it's so cool because it can happen simultaneously. In fact, some of the, the, most kick-ass parents uh, are those that are really able to consciously say, like, I want to parent differently. And I, and I was so going to go into that. Yes. Lean into that about the, they want to parent differently. Cause you were saying like, they may not have a model, but maybe they had a model that they want to go the other way <laughs> and they may find that triggering. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And it, you're so, you're so right. Sometimes that is triggering that sense of guilt. Like I do want to parent differently or, you know, clients who might from a, a different culture, different community might be saying almost like an a la carte. At a, at a, a, <laughs> I'll know, take this, this, and this, but not that. <laughs> totally, that's exactly it. And how, how wonderful that can be, but also how nuanced that can be. Sometimes that even brings up some guilt and shame, that sense of, I recognize the importance of parenting differently, but maybe I feel like I'm betraying some of my family or my cultural heritage by doing so. 
um, and just trying to explore and, and wade through some of the nuances of that. Breaking multi-generational patterns of trauma, for example, is really important work, but sometimes it can come with a lot of guilt and shame of, is it okay to do this? Is it a right to give myself permission to be able to forge a new path? So when they, when somebody, and again, I thought my parents did a pretty good job raising me, but there's definitely times I'm like, I'm going to do that differently, or I'm going to have to actually try to do that differently. Or then some of it's also just the way things were, I'm going to throw myself in the same bus as you, a child of the eighties. Things were very different. Like the way that my parents parented me to how we parent how I'm parenting with my husband, our, our kids now. And so there's some things I want to emulate and some things I want to do differently. So what are ways that someone can, I don't know if it's a word, choose or address that to go into that, but then also they might be getting feedback from the generation in which they're trying to do something differently. Oh my gosh, yes. And especially if grandparents are involved in child rearing at all in whatever capacity, whether they're an actual providing caregiving or, you know, like if they're part of their caregiving team or if they're grandparents that visit, you know, you're still going to be getting feedback. <laughs> capacity. Um, yeah. And how nuanced all that is, because here's the thing. I, I've never known a parent who hasn't done their best. And um, you, they're, both things can be true at the same time. It's that yes to and kind of thing. Parents who have done their best and you can recognize that, um, like you just said, in such a loving way, my parents did a great job. My parents did their best. And uh, there are some <laughs> aspects that you are wanting to parent differently. How I think very true that can be for every generation where um, new understanding of parenting styles can come in, how even just your own values might differ from your parents, your own personality type might differ from your, your parents. Um, new information, new lived experiences might have come in plus might have come in. Plus you are now joining in a partnership with someone who has their own value system, their own lived experience experiences, their own family of origin issues. Um, so I, I see it very much as a yes and kind of thing. That's what I love about being able to hold space with clients as they work through some of this and learn to give themselves permission to find their own way of parenting. Um, and if they feel like it's a betrayal to their parents, that then we hold space for that and, and work through that. That's why I think it's a yes and. I like that. Is there anything I haven't asked about the attachment and the bonding that you feel like we need to remark on in, in our conversation? Oh gosh, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I don't think so. I think I just really would want to repeat again that wherever you are falling on the spectrum of feeling either this immediate connection, a delayed bonding um, impaired bonding connection, um, bringing back up some of your own, uh, attachment and bonding, uh, patterns and issues from childhood that it's okay. And you're okay. And you're not alone. And there are, um, things that you can continue doing to connect with your baby over time. Well, I think that, that would be the biggest take home. Well, that leaves me with what are some resources if you have them to support a parent wanting to strengthen their connection to their baby and or heal from attachment wounds from childhood? Yeah. Oh uh, gosh, there's so many. Um, so one is for those who are interested in seeking therapy during this time, I would strongly recommend that you are looking specifically for therapists who specialize in perinatal mental health, meaning uh, mental health during this reproductive period. And you can also ask or screen for, and I'll give you some ideas, um, for uh, folks who specialize in attachment, because that's what we're essentially talking about, attachment with your own baby, but also attachment from childhood. Uh, so Postpartum Support International is the place that I always recommend folks go, postpartum.net. 
Um, and then if you're especially wanting to do a deep dive in therapy, uh, in terms of healing some attachment wounds or trauma wounds from childhood, um, EMDR therapy is another type of therapy I specialize in, and that can be especially useful to heal um, from attachment wounds and um, the International Association, EMDR International Association is a helpful way to find therapists that also specialize both in perinatal um, mental health and attachment wounds. And the website to find a therapist there is emdria.org. Um, so that's some ideas for therapy. Um, for classes like you were mentioning, Deb, um, you know, pretty much anywhere in any area, although thankfully I know you guys have a lot virtually too, which is cool, um, like baby yoga and me, baby infant massage, music classes, um, baby signing classes, any ways of finding connection and attachment to your baby uh, in an area near you or in a place that's affordable, uh, a style that you like is a really cool way of connecting with your baby. And I mentioned Circle of Security is another neat uh, class atmosphere where you virtually uh, can learn ways of connecting with your baby. Um, there's so many different options. Uh, it's kind of just finding a style that works for you in a judgment-free zone and just continuing to connect, continuing to connect. It's almost like if you were dating somebody, what do we do when we're dating? We like keep going out. We keep doing things together to get to know that person and keep forging that connection. Same kind of thing with baby. You know? I also think those baby classes are very, and I'll speak from my observation as someone that leads a lot of these, as well as someone that took them, it can break the day up. If you're a home with that baby a long time, yeah. it can definitely break the day up. And it's nice to then see some other adults too. So yeah. I'm all about the classes. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, what is one tip or final piece of advice you would like to offer new and expectant parents? And it can be covering anything that you choose. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic. And finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now, the Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited-time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. All right, so what has come to the top of your head of one tip or final piece of advice you'd like to leave new and expectant parents? Well, shoot, we needed a longer break. <laughs> I needed like the Jeopardy music or something. To break. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is super uninspired. I'm sorry. I, I wish I could think of something better. You know, there is going to be like 10 minutes from now. I'm going to think of something great and be like, Dad, let's get back on. Um, I... I mean, just in the same theme, I'm sure I could come up with something way better. I'm sorry. But just in the same theme, I would just say, keep at it. I like to say to all my clients who are experiencing um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, the two big T's, this is temporary and treatable. And I would say the same thing when it comes to bonding and attachment, that this is something that you can keep working on for a lifetime. So just like in a marriage, for example, we keep nurturing and we keep really um, working on our marriage. We keep feeding it. We keep, you know, really investing in it. Um, same kind of thing with your attachment with your baby. So however your route to becoming parents 
Um, and whatever your relationship is with your baby, you have the ability to keep working on, keep working on it. So I would just leave you with that. I actually think that is wonderful information. I think that is so authentic because so I have a seven and a 10 year old and I'm, and it's a very different relationship than obviously it was when they were babies and toddlers. And I make a conscious choice to spend time continuing that communication and bonding because I keep thinking they're going to be, especially the 10 year old, a teenager really soon. And if I don't really lay that foundation of communication and open communication and trust, you know, teenagers don't open up very easily. So I think what you said is spot on. We have to keep investing in it over and over and over and keep that foundation. So I know I threw it at you, but I love and appreciate your answer. So thank you for that. Okay. (laughs) So where can people find your work? Oh, thanks. Um, so I know I mentioned my book. My colleague, Dr. Beth Berger, and I wrote a book called The Pregnancy and Postpartum Mood Workbook that came out just last year. And we're so, so proud of it. It's essentially the book that we both needed and wanted for our own practice. And we're just thrilled that it's been published and it's out there. And as I mentioned, one whole chapter of it is devoted to exactly what we've been talking about today, the idea of how to strengthen and support your bond and and connection with your baby, no matter what you're going through and no matter what it looks like right now. Um, But also how to help parents navigate the changing moods and emotions they're experiencing during uh, when becoming a parent uh, and really helping just normalize and validate whatever that looks like. Um, So you can buy that wherever books are sold online and uh, you can ask for it in your favorite bookstore. And, um, my website is Bethany Warren, LCSW.com. You can find me on Instagram too, Bethany Warren, LCSW. I'll have all of that in the show notes, including the link to your book. And I love that you said bookstore. I'm like, yes, go support your local bookstore. That's just me getting on my soapbox. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Oh, well, this has been absolutely delightful. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. Honestly, this has been such a delight to be here. Thank you. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.